Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and actually, I'm doing the podcast for In Doubt this week. Uh, Daniel's not able to be with us, but that's okay because I really enjoy this opportunity because we meet with some wonderful people who have some incredible insights into God and our walk with Christ. And today is no exception because we have Pastor Kyle Eidelman with us. And Pastor Kyle is an author and a husband, a father of four. And if you're unfamiliar, I got to tell you, you got to look him up. I think the best way to do that is probably uh, through kyleidelman.com. And you can find all of the books that are there. And uh, I must say, Kyle, beyond the opportunity I had to receive one of your books and to read uh, one at a time, I didn't and wasn't familiar with some of your other books. But I tell you, they're all worthwhile. I, I've really enjoyed them and appreciated them. I appreciate you checking them out. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, you can check that out. Kyle is here today, and I'm grateful for him to be here uh, to discuss his newest book, One at a Time. Kyle, welcome. And maybe I could just ask you really quickly, if you just give a just a brief intro of yourself and even maybe what brought you to write this book. Yeah, I'd love to. So I am a pastor in Louisville, Kentucky, former church planter. I think we might have that in common, Ben. And um, I have been married for 26 years. I have four kids. Two of them are married. So I've only got one left at home. And um, I have been a pastor at the same church now for almost 20 years. Um, but the book really came out of my desire to have impact and influence, but not always knowing how to go about that in a way that uh, would reflect the life of Christ. So I, I was a church planter, as I mentioned. And, and when I started a new church, it was easy enough to love people one at a time because there weren't that many people, right? So um, I knew their names and their stories and I understood their struggles and challenges and uh, it was a little more natural to walk with them in life. And then as I got older and had some other opportunities, I, I saw, I began to think of impact and influence in terms of how many and how much and, and it kind of became a dangerous path in ministry and in life to define whether or not I'm making a difference by how many people, in my case, come to a church for your listeners. It might be how many Instagram followers you have or how many views you get on TikTok. Or There's all kinds of ways now that we would define influencer. But what I was really convicted with as I studied scripture is that Jesus influenced, he changed the world by loving people one at a time. And there's just so many examples of this in the gospels where he's surrounded by crowds of people. And in the midst of a very demanding schedule and busy day, he would take the time to love one person, to give his attention to one person. And it's amazing how much of the gospel account is dedicated to just telling those one at a time stories. And so I just thought about my life and what I would want my legacy to be and how do I make a difference today? And I just found so much joy and freedom in saying, I'm just going to care and love people one at a time as I go throughout whatever God's called me to do for that day. Uh, so that life of Christ is really what challenged me to take a fresh look at influence and impact. Yeah, that's great. You know, you go back to being church planter. Of course, I've, I've planted a few churches. Um, 
And, and I ran into the same issues you did. I, the Lord liberated me from that at one point, recognizing that, you know what, whatever I do, it's not about me anyways. And it's nothing that I can do that can sort of thwart the plans of God as though I'm powerful enough to do that. And so I just sort of turned to the idea that, you know, if I'm just obedient, uh, then everything else will fall in line. But, you know, one of my issues uh, as a church planter, as a young pastor, was that I was a bit of an introvert. And, uh, and it became very difficult for me sometimes to connect with people. I found that not only personally, naturally difficult, but let alone to talk to somebody as, and be as invasive about talking to them about Jesus. I mean, did you struggle with that? Is there, was there a personal issue with connecting? How, how would you go about encouraging somebody in that way? Yeah, you know, I would spend time with people who I felt like had great people skills, you know, the the extroverts among us who are, uh, you know, very sanguine and outgoing and love a good party. And I didn't always know how to do that. I, I didn't feel comfortable with that. Um, I struggled sometimes when I was in crowds. Um, yeah, I would uh, <laughs> I'd feel a little anxiety around that and and pick up my phone and pretend to be on a phone call even though there was nobody on the phone. <laughs> I, that's not healthy. Like that's that's not that's not in the uh, how to make a difference manual. And so I knew that I needed to do some things a little bit differently. And and my approach at first was to read some books, um, you know, study some people who have great people skills. What can I learn from them? But I just found that my personality was quite a bit different didn't come as naturally for me. And, and so as I studied the life of Jesus, one of the phrases that I kept coming across was the phrase Jesus saw, or he saw, I think it's about 40 times in the gospels, that, that Jesus had eyes for the one person. And I found that even though I don't necessarily do great with crowds, and I can be uncomfortable sometimes around um, a lot of people that I don't know, uh, that if I can really see one person, kind of see where they're at, have compassion on them, understand their story a little bit, ask questions um, about who they are and really care. Like if you don't really care, then it's pretty difficult. But if you genuinely care about that person, which a lot of that is accomplished through prayer ahead of time, if you genuinely care about that person, it's amazing how many questions you have. And, uh, and then the more you learn about them, the easier it becomes to connect with them. And so just learning from Jesus to see people that way. And I, I pray a prayer almost every day of, you know, Jesus, help me to see people the way you see people. Give me your eyes for the one. And I've just discovered that when we pray that prayer, he answers it um, and gives us a, a uh, love and a care for, for people that we, that we come across. Yeah. You know, one of the first uh, stories of the Bible that you mentioned in your book is the woman suffering from bleeding. And, you know, to be honest with you, that's probably one of my top two or three stories in the Bible, because I think it it portrays such a holistic perspective of ministry, what one person can give to another. Uh, help us understand a little bit more, how does that fit into the one at a time, as you see it, with Jesus interacting with that woman? Well, in context of that story, Jesus is surrounded by a crowd of people and in that language, crowd just means this large group of unidentified people. So a lot of people from a lot of different places who he didn't necessarily know. Uh, and, and then, of course, you have uh, Jairus who comes, who's a, a powerful person who needs the help of Jesus. And so Jesus is giving some attention to Jairus. But then there's this woman who reaches out and touches the cloak of Jesus, believing that she will be healed. And um, she spent 20 years 
seeing doctors trying to get help. It cost her all of her money and she's desperate. She reaches out to Jesus. She's healed. And, and then she tries to disappear into the crowd. And there's this verse in, in Luke 8 there that was super impactful to me and I think is a profound way to live your life. The woman says, realizing that she could not go unnoticed, that Jesus was looking for her in such a way that she recognized he's going to see me. He's going to notice me. She realized she couldn't go unnoticed. And, and I love that challenge to followers of Jesus to say, okay, who in your life needs to not go unnoticed? Maybe they're trying to disappear a little bit, or maybe they've withdrawn because of some shame or rejection in the past. Um, whatever their story is, who needs to not go unnoticed? And, and when Jesus then sees her, um, he, he says to her, he refers to her as daughter. It's just a really profound thing uh, that there's this very intimate term that Jesus uses to, as a rabbi, to refer to this woman as daughter. And, and it shows you how he saw her. In fact, I would say the, his term of endearment for her reflects how he's able to care for her one at a time. It, you know, I have three daughters at home and I know that you know, the way I see them is that if they have a need, if they're in trouble, if they're struggling, if they have a challenge, then that's going to become what's most important to me today, right? Because it's my daughter. And to understand that the way Jesus sees her is the way I see my girl. And the way that Jesus sees you, it's a son or a daughter. And, and if I can see people that way, if I can understand it that way, it makes all the difference. Um, I have a daughter who is 20 and she's in Brazil right now. And, and so she's a, a ways from home. Um, but I recently had a, this couple that um, are missionaries there who um, she, she works, my daughter works for a missions organization, but the, this couple who didn't know me and I don't know them uh, just kind of saw that she was doing this work, but was very much by herself and uh, needed some encouragement and some, some help along the way. And they just, they just invited her in, uh, started sharing life with them and taking good care of her. And as a dad, I saw what was happening from a distance. And I was so grateful because she's my daughter and here's a couple who sees her and cares for her. And, and I just think of how God feels, how he must think of it when he sees us as um, his servants looking after his sons and daughters in such a personal way, because that's how he sees them. I think that's part of your book as well, is that, you know, people just aren't numbers. We have a responsibility to the people around us to actually get to know them, to care about them in order to represent Christ properly. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. And I think, you know, your listeners I know that there's this tendency to feel like the way you make a difference is by the numbers, right? Like, it, you know, you make a difference because you have this post that goes up and a lot of people comment and share it. Something goes viral and you're like, man, I, I'm doing something with my life. I'm making a difference. I'm having an influence. However, what we really see in the Gospels is that it's much more personal than that, that it, it requires a type of proximity with people, that it can't be accomplished as nearly as effectively. I won't say it can't be accomplished at all, but nearly as effectively through social media, a digital connection as it can be in person. There's something about being physically present with someone. And so Jesus was always living life this way where he would be on his way somewhere, he'd find someone within his circle, and then he was intentional with that person. 
So one of the ways I would encourage and challenge uh, your listeners is with this idea of who's, who is in your circle today? Who do you find yourself in physical proximity with? And what can you do to encourage them? What can you do to care for them, to show interest in them, to build a bridge to them? Um, it, it's super helpful if you stop and think about who has done this for you. I'll give you an example. When I was in the eighth grade, I had a Sunday school teacher who was an accountant. His name was Scott Fields. And he kept me after Sunday school class. And as an eighth grader, he said to me, hey, I see something in you. I think, I think that you have some leadership gifts. I think God's going to use you in some significant ways. And, and as a eighth grader, his, I doubt he even remembers doing that, right? Like I'm sure for him, that was not a big deal. He probably said it to all the kids, but that had a huge impact on my life because he took some time to say something. I was in his circle. I was in that proximity area and, and he was intentional with it. My guess is that, that most of the people listening to this, if you've had someone do that for you, it, it's been, it's been their presence. Like they, they did some life with you and that gave them that opportunity. And, and so when you're doing it by the numbers, trying to find influence by the numbers, it might feel good to you personally, but the real impact and influence tends to be um, the, the people who step into your circle that you're able to show that kind of personal care for. Yeah. It's really liberating when you think about it, because I'm thinking about, you know, and I'm sure you've traveled much in, in your, your ministry. And uh, I remember going to a number of different places, well, even in Vancouver here, where we're from here, and uh, walking downtown and feeling overwhelmed by the numbers, you know, or, or being down in the States and feeling overwhelmed by the numbers or in Toronto, or, you know, we do some ministry in India and being in Hyderabad and just looking at the numbers and all of a sudden feeling, this is impossible. There's nothing I can do to make an impact. But the liberating thing here is that, that, that Christ really did choose to focus on the individual. I mean, very seldom did he focus on large groups of people. Um, but he focused on the individual uh, for most of his ministry. And so I think that's got to be a liberating statement to us, doesn't it? That focusing on those individual relationships should really be a primary goal. Yeah, and you know, you've, you've been doing this uh, probably a little longer than I have, but I know as a pastor, my confidence in what you're saying has grown. So um, in other words, I underestimated the ripple effect that caring for one person at a time has. You, you, the fruit of that sometimes shows up over the years where, you know, you have an opportunity to show the love of Jesus to someone. And then, you know, a generation later, there's still some fruit from that. And I, I think that that can, you know, that takes some patience. It can be hard to, to wait for the harvest of that. My, my grandparents in 1956 were, uh, far from God. They didn't know Jesus, didn't have any kind of a church home. My grandfather struggled with alcoholism, a really rough family. And there were some neighbors who walked across the street one day, knocked on their door and introduced themselves and invited them to to their church and befriended them and, and shared Jesus with them. My dad would have been about 10 at the time. And, and so here's here's some neighbors, people that I've never known and never met, and they changed everything. Like God used them to really turn my grandparents' life around. Uh, my grandparents got to know Jesus and he began to redeem as only he can. 
And uh, here I am now, you know, in 2021, however many years later that is, and, and almost everything good in my life really came from these people that I've never met walking across the street, knocking on the door of my grandparents' house and, and expressing care and love for them. And, and my point would be that, like, you just don't know. You don't know how God will use you. I don't have a chance, won't have a chance, at least this side of heaven, to thank them for the way that they saw and cared for my grandparents. Um, but it changed the trajectory of their lives, which changed my life completely, even though I was, you know, I, I was the long ways from even being born. So I, I guess I guess my challenge would be to have faith that God's going to use you to make a difference. You might not see it all at once, um, but that's the way the harvest comes. You know, it's, it's, uh, God does something with it, and then and then fruit becomes uh, starts to grow. Yeah, you know, and I can think back on my own life uh, about the individual things. You know, it didn't even have to be profound; um, those interactions, they just had to be personal. I, I would argue that that is a profound need that a lot of the people we come in contact with have. They really want to be. They really want to be seen, and and so. You know, I think even today, everyone listening to this is going to have that opportunity to to help someone um, be noticed and to be seen. Uh, that requires you to be present in the moment, right? Like, I'm not always great at that. My wife will sometimes say to me, hey, I feel like you're here, but you're not present. <laughs> in other words, I feel like you may be here physically, but your mind is somewhere else. You're distracted with something else. You're on your phone scrolling, whatever it is. And, and there's just something really powerful about uh, putting away the distractions, looking at someone, giving them your attention, and letting them feel seen. Like there's there's something very Jesus about that. Jesus, I mean, there's so many examples that come to my mind, but but let me give you a few that you know Jesus would see someone. The Bible says then he would have compassion on them, but the disciples wouldn't always see and wouldn't always see them the same way. Like. Um, I, I think about uh, the blind man on the side of the road who they tell the, the blind man to be quiet. You know, they, he's he's uh, bothering them with his begging and and Jesus sees him. And there's something really powerful about that. They're the, the children as they're coming to Jesus, the, the disciples try to to usher them away because it's a busy time. But Jesus sees them and says, let the little children come to me. And, and so I, I would just challenge um, those of you who are listening to this to think about and to pray about, okay, who just needs to be seen? You may not feel like there's anything profound you can do. Um, you're not sure maybe even what to say, but just seeing someone being present with someone um, can be incredibly impactful. Yeah, I completely agree. Now, let me ask you a question, though, you know, because I come from the era of church growth um, with uh, all of its good and bad, I guess, um, but also um, an era of where friendship evangelism was was really important, uh, or was a was a key sort of incentive to get out there. But sometimes the challenge with that was friendship is all it became about. Uh, there was nothing more intentional about that. And so when being present, there still does there still need to be some acknowledgement of the fact that we're present for a purpose. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, Jesus says in John 13, 34, 35, the new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. By this, the world will know that you're my followers if you love one another. So the, the way that we want to communicate to the world that we are his followers 
is is by our love. Like there's nothing more profoundly clear about your commitment to Christ than the way that you love people. There's no question about that. It's not your knowledge. It's not how much information that you have. It's not your rule following. It's, it, it is the fact that you love people the way that Jesus loved people. But part of the way that Jesus loved people was to meet a need in a moment, but then um, speak something of truth into their life. So there, there's a gospel opportunity that will almost always follow a profound act of compassion. So that when you see and then you move with compassion, I believe that, I mean, it may be a little uncomfortable at first, but there'll be an opportunity to connect someone to Jesus or connect that act of compassion to Jesus. You know, Jesus talks about the fact that as followers of Jesus, of him and, and the Sermon on the Mount, he says that, that we are the salt of the earth, that we are the light of the world, that part of why we do what we do is because that's how he's loved us, but that's what gives us the opportunity to point people to him. And there are all kinds of ways to do that. I, I encourage people not to make it weird. You know, I think that as you build relationship and as you love people, if you pray about it, if you pray about it, you will have an opportunity to step into that. Yeah. I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm going to put you on the spot. Can you can you look back on a, on a relationship that you've had where that happened organically, that it, you know, that that opportunity was there and Lord led you to progress with that? I can uh, tell you about something that happened yesterday. Oh, great. <laughs> so, I a, so you're hearing this for the first time. Nobody else has heard <laughs> this. Uh, so yeah, uh, yesterday we had some uh, groceries delivered to our house and the person who delivered groceries, which is how most of us get groceries these days, uh, you know, pulled up in the driveway and um, I went out to meet her. She was driving a minivan and she had her groceries in there, opened up the door. I could see the kids seats there in the uh, seat when she opened the door. And, you know, I noticed that she didn't have a wedding ring on. So I thought, well, you know, it's probably a single mom uh, that's delivering groceries, making a little extra money on the side to help make ends meet. So I asked her, I just said, Hey, is this your full-time job or you know, tell me about how you got into this. And she started telling me, you know, what I'd assumed. And, um, and so I had a chance just to talk to her, to learn a little bit about her. Um, and, and then I thought, you know, I want to give a really generous tip. So I went in, got a hundred dollar bill and, uh, brought it back out and said, Hey, I, I definitely don't do this very often. And I doubt I'll do it again anytime soon, but I really would love to bless you with this today. And, um, uh, and for me, it's a little easier because I told her I was a pastor at a church, so it kind of built a natural bridge. But then I, when I gave it to her and just said, hey, I really believe, you know, she said to me, God bless you. And I said, actually, I really think God's wanting to bless you today. Like, that's, that's, that's why I did this. And I'm going to be praying for you. It's really good to meet you. So, you know, it's, a, it's an example of something I would have totally missed, I don't know, eight, 10 years ago. But that I'm learning to have eyes to notice a need, you, you know, which Jesus just did so naturally in the gospels where he, he would see, he would have compassion, he would do something. And, and so I, I think as we grow in that, that God gives us eyes to recognize a need, then we ask some questions so we can be personally interested and understand someone where they're at. And then if we can meet that need, then it gives us oftentimes an opportunity to point them to Jesus. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's a, it's a great challenge for us. And, you know, I think those opportunities are always there, but I think, like you said, you know, to have the eyes to recognize it and to be attentive to the opportunities that God is giving us uh, constantly, I think, uh, it's easy 
to miss those things if our attention is always somewhere else. Listen, I want to move on to uh, another part of the book because I, I think it was really interesting. Um, you talked about the Sermon on the Mount, and you, in essence, called it God's dream for your life. And this is completely new to me. I got to be honest with you, the, the idea that this is God's dream for your life. And so I want, what I want you to do is maybe help us understand, inspire people with that, because I think that is incredible. Yeah, well, you know, I... I I think we have to be careful when we use phrases like God's dream, right? Like, because oftentimes, oftentimes that is followed by what's actually my dream. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so as you read through the Sermon on the Mount, there's this contrast. You, you start to recognize, oh, this isn't necessarily what I want for my life. You know, it's not necessarily my dream. And, and so there's this tension where what God is calling me to is different than what I'm maybe wanting. And so I, I call it God's dream for your life as a way to to draw some tension there to say, hey, God's dream for your life is probably going to be different than your dream for your life. And and here's how. And uh and yeah, in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, he challenges those who are listening, you know, to understand that oftentimes his dream for your life is going to be counterintuitive. So specifically as it relates to one at a time, I, I think of where he is challenging his listeners on how to treat people. This is a section where he says, if someone hits you on one side of the face, you know, turn to him the other cheek as well. If someone sues you, give him your coat as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And, and as you know, so in that culture for a, a Jew, a, a Roman soldier who they were the occupation of that time could say to a Jewish person, Hey, here's my yeah. Here's my backpack. You've got to carry it a mile, and the Jewish person would have to do that. Uh, but they couldn't ask the Jewish person to carry that more than a mile. It's just one mile is the most they could kind of demand there. And, and so, when Jesus is saying go a second mile, he he's saying, hey, you willingly do something here that you're not going to feel like doing that that nobody's going to want to do. And that act or that gesture is going to make you stand out. Like, who does that? Who does that? Followers of Jesus do that. Nobody else is going to do that. And, and so when we, when we love people that way, it gives us an opportunity to, to be different. It gives us an opportunity to, to stand out, to be distinctive by the way we love. Yeah, it's fantastic. You know, and I think it's true, you know, when, you, when you're seeing those things, I like when you speak about the fact that it's not necessarily what we would necessarily intend for ourselves or want for ourselves. Uh, do I want to walk a second? Well, you know, I, to be honest with you, I know a few people that would actually, that, that's, that's their life. They would want to walk the extra mile, you know, or, or another mile, another mile after that. That's not my personal natural inclination. Uh, sometimes in relationships, it's sort of a um, you know, until I'm happy, until I'm satisfied. Uh, but God has something much more intentional for you uh, in that. And uh, the opportunities are, are grand. When you think about opportunities uh, to give more of yourself, there's a lot of them. When people ask something of you and to say, no, you know, I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to do this much more. Um, so if you're looking for opportunity to be in relationship with somebody, there's all kinds of opportunities to do more than what's required of you, I would think. Yeah, and you know, there's this strange thing that happens, kind of this irony that takes place that when you live that way, you actually find what you were selfishly wanting all along. Like what makes it hard to go the extra mile for one person at a time is that, you know, 
we tend to be selfish and think of our own interests and uh, we think that's what's going to make us happiest, you know, if, if I'm putting myself first. But, you know, the great irony is that in putting others first, we start to discover a deeper joy. We start to discover that satisfaction that was never really ours when we were focused on ourselves first. Um, what's interesting is that this isn't just true for followers of Jesus. It's just true. Like there's lots of secular studies that would would reflect this, that altruistic living is actually much more fulfilling than, you know, um, materialistic living. And so we, we see this in Luke 9, where, you know, Jesus talks about whoever gives up their life for me will, will find it, that you actually find life when you follow the way of Jesus in taking up your cross, following him, serving others, putting others ahead of yourself. And, and so it's, it's counterintuitive. You think, well, this isn't going to work. This is just going to make me miserable. But instead, there's actually a very fulfilling, joyful life to be found in that. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, you know, I'm going to go jump to another chapter in the book um, of which I was uh, quite intrigued right from the very title. And you could probably can even anticipate what I might be asking about. But it's a chapter called Don't Be a Prig. And I, 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 I just got to ask you to, to explain that because <laughs> I think, you know, people know when they get the uh, one-at-a-time book, there's going to be a chapter that's called Don't Be a Prig. That might entice them to, uh, to read. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know the etymology of the word prig, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, it's, a, it's a quote from C.S. Lewis that is directed towards, you know, what I would call kind of religious snobs. Uh, but but people who are always considering themselves better than others, people who tend to be judgmental and, you know, look down on on those who struggle with things that they don't struggle with. So C.S. Lewis, Lewis coins that. I, I don't know. Maybe that was a popular saying in his day. But <laughs> I figured I figured I could call people a prig as long as it's coming from C.S. Lewis there and nobody's going to be too too mad at me. <laughs> but but, you know, the the challenge of that chapter is is that there is sadly a, you know, I don't want to say often, but there is often a connection where the more religious someone becomes, the less effectively they love difficult, high need people one at a time. That that the more you are focused on your religious rituals and rule keeping, the more you find your identity in um, Christian behaviorism, the the, the the less likely you are to be gracious, the less likely you are to be merciful, to love people with that kind of compassion. Um, I think there are a lot of reasons for that, but Jesus had a really big problem with religious leaders who made life difficult for, for the people that he loved one at a time. The very people Jesus loved one at a time are often the very people that they would condemn one at a time and the very people that they would you know, judge one at a time and, and reject one at a time. And so, um, you know, Jesus spoke to them very clearly. I, I think of Matthew 23, the woe to you passage of scripture, where Jesus says to the religious leaders, you know, woe to you if you, and if you read through those, so many of them dealt with how they treated others. And, and so that chapter is really a, a challenge to people who have been in church maybe a long time, but have found it difficult to be compassionate to those who are different than them. Yeah, you know, we really uh, focus in doubt on uh, uh, trying to have conversations with young adults. Uh, this is a conversation we need to have with those grandparents that are listening as well, because I think 
if we're not careful, we can just fall into being, you know, I got to be honest, the word prig, I had, I was a bit concerned about it. I didn't know if I could say it on air or not. But now that you say C.S. Lewis said it, I'm, I'm feeling much more comfortable. <laughs> but we can just fall into being a prig without even knowing it. Like, what would you say are some of the, some of the signs of becoming a prig? Can I ask you that? Yeah, well, one sign of it is that you don't think we're talking about you right now. <laughs> you know, you, you think, oh, I know people like that. I'm never like that. But I know somebody who can be like that. Well, that's, that's, that's a sign. So, uh, you know, it's the self-righteousness where, where you, you never think it's about you uh, as someone who needs to, to change. I, I think also, you know, a sign of this would be instead of being compassionate, you're critical. The, the the very people that we've been called to demonstrate compassion to are sometimes the easiest people to criticize. And you pay attention to who you're critical of and ask yourself, uh, you know what, am I actually supposed to be compassionate towards this person? I think that's often the case. And and this was what separated Jesus from the religious leaders of his day, is the very people they criticized and condemned, he demonstrated compassion and care for. Yeah, that's fantastic. Let me throw a quote at you. Your own, it's a quote from you, actually, from your own book. So here, you got to take... Hope I agree with it. <laughs> you have to take complete responsibility for it. Uh, but here it is, and you just respond to it. You said, if you want to live and love like Jesus, we need to understand that words have the power of life and death and start choosing them carefully. So that quote comes from my personal experiences, that the, the people who... Um, loved me one at a time well, oftentimes did that with words. They, they said the right thing to me at the right time when I really needed to hear it, and it had profound impact on my life. I think the other side of that's true too. You know, the times where I have really struggled, um, where I have felt rejected and, and hurt and have lost some sense of identity is, has come from, from hurtful words. And so I, the challenge of it really is to help everyone understand that with their words today, they have an opportunity to demonstrate a one-at-a-time life um, just by paying attention and speaking into someone's life. You know, maybe they need some comfort. Maybe they need some courage. Oftentimes, they just need somebody to check in with them. Uh, but, but you can use your words to, to demonstrate that kind of love um, that Jesus has demonstrated towards us. So, so really that chapter is about doing a word inventory, like just paying attention to this. Am I intentional with my words? How today have I used my words to, to, uh, to influence people, to love people one at a time? Who around me needs someone to speak into them because of maybe a challenge they're experiencing? I had a, a friend recently who um, uh, didn't lose his job, but he was demoted was good is probably a good way to think of it and he didn't really want to say much to anybody about it he was kind of embarrassed by it and my tendency was to not say anything to him about it either i didn't want to embarrass him but i knew it was hard and i knew he was struggling with it and so i said you know what I, i'm just gonna i'm gonna say something and you know so i i just spoke to him about it as directly as i could but with lots of hope and compassion and and care and just told him man I, it's got to be hard i know what that's like i'm sure that's frustrating when I heard that, I, I, I felt frustrated for you. And, and I just watched, he's listening to me. I just watched as the tears kind of come to his eyes. And we didn't really talk much about it. But just having the opportunity to say something. Um, one of the things I talk about in the book is the power of an ICNU conversation. 
don't know who taught me this, but but there's something really profound when you say to someone, I see in you and whatever you see in them, like you call that out in someone, it, it has a lot of power. And, um, and I think that's something all of us can do. We all have somebody in our lives where we can speak that kind of um, love into. Yeah. And, you know, those sort of words of life can have such an impact on people. You know, I, I've had the opportunity in the past to be with a group of people where we shared just words of life with each other. And it can be devastating for the person almost that's listening because they put up so many curtains about who they think they are. And it's so difficult to actually hear encouragement of what other people think you are. Yeah. And it can be so yeah. uplifting. It can be life transforming. Uh, because the world would say, you're this, you're this, and you buy into that, you buy into it. And then, uh, you know, I can think about having conversations with my kids where, you know, they were feeling bullied or they were feeling down. They were feeling just like, uh, yeah, just like they weren't worthy of anything. And uh, all of a sudden, it doesn't mean as much from mom or dad as much sometimes as it does from other people which can be frustrating for mom and dad, by the way. But, yes, it can. But if someone comes alongside of them and says, you know, I, I, you, this was fantastic. You did such a good job with this. You're so valuable. You're this, you're that, you're the other thing. All of a sudden, it's almost, you can see this physical reaction of feeling almost expelling sort of all this untruth and ingesting all this goodness of what people are revealing to them as, in essence, being the image of God. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good, and 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 it's really true. Um, and it's easy to underestimate uh, that for people. One of the ways I would challenge um, your listeners with that is a couple of things. Number one is to pray. Like if you in your prayers pay attention, um, ask yourself how many times am I praying for other people? Like who do you pray for by name? Who in your life do you take the time to pray for? I found that when I'm praying for people by name, I oftentimes have a better sense of what to say to them in a certain moment. If I'm not praying for them, I, I don't know that I would even think about it or presume to know what needs to be said. But if you're, I'm just saying, if you're praying for somebody specifically, a classmate, a coworker, if you're praying for a roommate, if you're praying for some difficult family member, you'll be surprised as you pray for them that you'll know what to say to them to bring life. The second thing I would encourage them to do to live this out is to practice it. I think it can feel a little unnatural at first, and maybe you don't think you have much to say. Um, that's okay. You, you practice it. Send it. Send it as a text. Um, you, th th those are words of life too. One of the things I often do for people in my life um, is I'll record a voice memo. You know, I'll and I'll text it to them. But, hey, just want to tell you I'm praying for you today. Um, let me know if I can do anything for you. And sometimes I'll record a prayer and send it. And um, there's something about, I, you know, I don't necessarily know when I'll see them or have a chance to talk to them, but I, I still want my words to make a difference in, in their world. So, so just try it. Take some steps, practice it. You get better at it as you do it. That's fantastic. We're going to wrap up in, in just a minute. Uh, I do want to tell you that when I was reading your book, uh, there's a couple things that made impression on me. One is it's biblical, and I love that. You know, uh, in doubt, you know, we just... Uh, uh, are sold out on the Word of God, and that all of our living and behavior needs to be based upon the truth of God's Word. And so that's, uh, thank you for that. Uh, but the other thing that, that uh, stands out to me is it's not a bunch of platitudes 
what you're providing for us is really some uh, practical direction. It's a matter of just not saying something. You should be doing this, but helping us get there, uh, which I really appreciate. So just in the last couple of minutes, just how would you encourage people to gain the confidence? Where does the confidence come from? How could we send people out? So I would encourage you to do two things. Number one, I would encourage you to do kind of a one at a time inventory on your life. Like who has done this for you and how have they impacted you? And I, I think one of the things that will happen as you do that is you'll start to say, oh, I can actually do that for other people. So let's look at how God has used other people to care for you, love you, encourage you one at a time. And as you do that kind of inventory, I think it'll inspire you to do that for others. There's something about doing for others what's been done for us that uh, gives us courage and confidence. The second thing I would encourage you to do is to, to wake up 15 minutes early in the morning and, and ask God for your day to give you his eyes for the one. And why does that take 15 minutes? Well, think through your day. Like take 15 minutes, go through your calendar, pray through your appointments. If you've got a class and you know you're going to be sitting next to someone in class, think about who that person is. If you've got um, a, a roommate, you know, that you know, shares a room with you, think about who that person is and pray for that person. As you pray for the people that you're going to be around that day, it'll start to give you opportunities to live this out. So start your day a little bit differently. Just set the, if 15 minutes is too much, go for five. Just start the day by putting on a different pair of lenses through which to see other people. That's fantastic. Thank you, Kyle, so much. Uh, you know, we, I think we've just really scratched the surface, and I really want to encourage folks to not only uh, get the book one at a time, but you have a, a podcast called One at a Time as well. Um, and so I would encourage people to go there and to go to kyleidelman.com to see the other books you have. And uh, any last words, Kyle? Hey, listen, I no, I appreciate you having me on. Really grateful. I just can't help but think about if every person who was listening to this really just did that for one other person today, man, it would have a huge impact. So thanks for letting me share the message. Uh, you're very welcome. Anyways, God bless your church and all that you're doing. Really appreciate you. Thanks, Ben. Grateful for you. Thanks, brother. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. In Doubt is a ministry that exists to engage young people with biblical truth and provide answers for many of today's questions of life, faith, and culture. Through audio programs, articles, and blogs, InDoubt reaches out to encourage, strengthen, and disciple young adults. To check out all the resources of InDoubt, visit InDoubt.ca in Canada or InDoubt.com in the U.S. Or if you're in a position or share a passion for the ministry of young people, you can support the ongoing mission of engaging a new generation with the truth of the Bible. First, you can pray for this ministry. And second, and if you are able, please consider a financial gift by visiting InDoubt.ca in Canada or indoubt.com in the U.S. Your gift of any amount is such a blessing and an answer to prayer. Thanks.